All right, the baby heard I'm starting, so the baby started crying. But um, most important that uh, there's a mezuzah campaign uh, going on in which we are um, offering 50% uh, off your next mezuzah. So some of you may have uh, one mezuzah. Some of you may, you know, I you're supposed to have a mezuzah in every single door. The reason why we're focusing on mezuzah is because the Torah says if you uh, if you will have a mezuzah, what happens? Leman in order that you lengthen the days of your children, and your grandchildren, al ha'adama on the land, that that God your God has promised to give you. So, by the mitzvah of mezuzah, not only does it protect us, but it clearly says it protects us in the land of Israel. By having a mezuzah, we will uh, add extra protection to our brethren in the land of Israel. Um, so if anybody, please, please uh, put up an additional mezuzah, or if you know someone who needs a mezuzah, or sometimes you may have a mezuzah, the scrolls can go bad after many years if you want me to check it. But uh, if you, even if you already have one on your front door, on your bedroom door, you can put it on your garage door, you can put it on your sliding door. Ideally, there should be a mezuzah in every door, but I'm offering 50% off for the next, at least one more mezuzah for you. Of course, you can buy more, full price, but 50% uh, off the next mezuzah. Okay, so uh, I'm just going to mute everybody here. Of course, you can unmute at any time. Um, uh, today, you're going to be following along the screen because these letters, I said we're going to read letters of the Alter Rebbe, the first Chabad Rebbe, regarding charity. And specifically, charity to Israel. And I said they're in the Tanya. What do I mean by the Tanya? The Tanya is technically uh, the first book that we're reading, the book you know, speaking about the war and the animal soul and the godly soul. But more broadly, the Tanya actually can refer to a five-section book written by different sections of the Alter Rebbe, different treaties. So we have what we're reading is the book of in-betweeners, as you may call it, the book that discusses the war within us. But there are four other sections of the Tanya, you know, in a broader sense. It's kind of like the word Torah, right? The word Torah can mean, you know, the five books of Moser can mean something broader. Similarly, the word Tanya can mean the book of in-betweeners, or it can mean more broadly the five sections of the Tanya. And one of the sections of the Tanya is a... Uh, a collection of letters that Alter Rebbe wrote. Not all of his letters, but many of his letters. And the Alter Rebbe uh, wrote a collection of letters uh, discussing specifically giving charity. And within charity itself, very much so talking about giving charity to the land of Israel. The Alter Rebbe established one of the oldest Israel charities today called Kolel Chabad. You may have seen the name Kolel Chabad. They advertise in a lot of places. They have soup kitchens all over Israel and everything. Um, but that was established by the Alter Rebbe, the first Chabad Rebbe, in the year, uh, we're now, what, in the year 5783, right? 5783? 5784, sorry, 5784. So that was established in the year um, 5537, 5537. So uh, over 200 years old, uh, this charity. And um, not only did he establish this charity, but he actually made it mandatory for all of his students to give towards the fund. So again, he established a charity and he said, if you want to be my follower and you want to show up here and be allowed in, you have to give towards this fund. And he was very organized about it. As an aside, this is one of the reasons that he was imprisoned at one point. Those who didn't like his teachings went to the Russian government and went to claim, oh, he's sending money to the Turks. Right, the Russians and the Turks didn't get along. So since the Alter Rebbe was sending vast amounts of money towards Israel, they said he's supporting the Turkish army 
And uh, how can you uh, how can you trust him? Of course, he wasn't sending to the Turkish army. He was sending to the Jews who were in Israel under Turkish rule. But the point is, he had he had a very uh, vast, uh, elaborate system, and and uh, he he made it mandatory for people to give, and he even gave people the amounts that they were supposed to give. So you can imagine, you know, they went through your 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 you know your salary or whatever you made a year, and they'd say, all right, you know, you've got to give you know two thousand dollars a year towards the Israeli charity. You can imagine, as most people, as most of us, uh, when you have to give big lump sums, it becomes very difficult. It's very difficult to big give big lump sums. So, uh, the Alter Rebbe then established people can give monthly or weekly in order to build up to give their charity. Um, and just like today, the Alter Rebbe had to be a fundraiser. Uh, you know, just as today, it's hard to part with our hard-earned money, and we all have a lack of money as well. And you can imagine the Jews in Russia really didn't have a lot of money. And here the Alter Rebbe is demanding of them to give charity and it's very hard. And so the Alter Rebbe wrote a series of letters to inspire them, um, uh, to inspire them and um, uh, to, to be able to give, to, to be able to give charity. So we're going to read a couple of those letters and uh, we're going to start with um uh, letter 21. I'm going to share it on the screen. And so again, this is giving you the backdrop. He he made this charity and he made it mandatory in all the students to give the charity. But nevertheless, um, the people still needed inspiration. Like any fundraiser, you need to inspire people to give. But the Alter Rebbe's inspiration wasn't by selling people plaques, right? And offering them dinner recognitions. This is a different year and a different time. He inspired them with Torah thoughts, and uh, ideas that are relevant for us today as well. So let us read this first letter. This is uh, again from, uh, you know, the Tanya Igeratagodish, which means the holy letters. And uh, we're going to start this letter over here. So he starts like this. Having first duly inquired after the welfare of those who love God's name. So again, basically, you start off a letter, you say, how are you doing? Okay, so that's what he was writing to them. He first wants to check, you know, how are you? And he uses, he describes them as people who love God, because obviously um, loving God is going to be important uh, when it comes to uh, what he's going to talk about. But in addition, he writes over here, uh, it, Israel is called the land that God is always looking at it. It says it in the verse uh, here, it will tell us what the verse is, the verse is Deuteronomy Deuteronomy eleven twelve. So Deuteronomy eleven twelve discusses that Israel is a land that God's that God's uh, vision is always upon it. All right. So he tells them like this. I don't know how the number twenty one got there. He says to those among the people willing willingly volunteer to practice the righteous charitability of God towards His holy land by giving every year a set sum of money for the inhabitants of our land may be rebuilt and established in our days. May my word call to them and my speech trickle like dew in order to bestir those who are naturally swift for one Ari's only swift. So what he's saying is like this. He's talking to the people again who are supposed to give a yearly amount. And he's saying, these are the people that I'm talking to. And he's saying, not only am I telling them to give the charity, but this is an important part of the letter, Lazare's reason to be swift. In Judaism, there's a big emphasis not only in doing mitzvot, but doing them swiftly, doing them quickly. Um, there's many, many statements in the ethics of our fathers. 
uh, about zrizin magdim and the mitzvahs. You know, we should be we should be doing mitzvahs swift. Why? Because when you do something quickly, it shows that it's something that you really want. You're not just being forced to do it, so you have to do it, right? Just for example, um, you know, people ask me, Rabbi, should I do this mitzvah in the morning, right? Or maybe it's tefillin, maybe it's a prayer. Should I do it in the morning? Well, so what else are you doing in the morning before you do it? That's the question, you know? Are you, are you catching up on all the news and uh, making sure you've, uh, you know, texted everybody and answered all your emails and then you're going to pray? The idea is that we don't want mitzvahs to be a burden. We want it to be joyful. We want it to be the first thing that we do. Uh, that's with any mitzvah. Okay, we're going to discuss charity specifically, but with any mitzvah, we want to show our eagerness in doing it. So whenever possible, you want to do it first thing in the morning. Of course, sometimes... It's not possible, or you get up too early to pray first, you know. But uh, in general, mitzvahs should be done in a way that uh, we do them first. So he's going to talk. Uh, uh, he's talking to the people to give charity. First of all, he wants them to give it um, very swiftly. He wants them to, you know, first thing they think of, right? So imagine they get money. He wants to first think of the charity they're going to give, right? Not the the uh, projector they're going to buy, or the flat screen TV they're going to get. Then he adds another line, Ula and to strengthen weak hands. In other words, obviously he noticed people were having trouble giving the charity. So he wants to not only uh, tell people to give quicker, but also some people who are having trouble actually giving it, not just giving it quickly, but giving it at all. He wants to give them um, uh, inspiration, as he says, so that they should contribute monies to the land of Israel every week, or at least every month from the amount assigned for the year proportionately as well as all the dedicated money that each individual was inspired to donate annually without a vow for the support of our brethren who live in the Holy Land. So here he's saying, in addition to the money that I'm forcing you to give, also money that you'll give additionally to that amount that I'm telling you that you have to give. See, now he's going to talk about um, the importance of giving with alacrity, giving uh, promptly. So he says like this, for first of all, everyone knows the great virtue of alacrity with respect to all commandments which is spoken of repeatedly in the words of our sages of blessed memory. For example, at all times, a person should be prompt in fulfilling a mitzvah. So I spoke about that a moment ago, right? So the altar is saying, first of all, you should be giving charity promptly because every mitzvah should be done promptly. It shouldn't be the last on your priority list, right? You have to uh, give it um, the moment that you can. Now he says like this, he's going to add, and he's going to add an additional proof how the power of being prompt is a very powerful idea. And he says like this, so too, it is the merit of the eager promptness of our father Abraham, peace upon him, who hastened to the Akedah, the binding of Isaac, that stands by us and our children forever and ever. For the Akedah, the binding of Isaac itself, which God constantly recalls, is not really regarded as so great a test in relation to the stature of our father Abraham, peace upon him. So here's the thing. This is what he's talking about. He's again proving how alacrity is so important. We know one of the primary features of our prayers every day, we say it every single morning, and throughout the Yom Kippur and holiday services is the binding of Isaac, right? The famous story, God told Abraham, sacrifice your child on the mountain that I will show you. Abraham and Isaac went up to the mountain. As Abraham was about to slaughter his child, God told him, stop, I was just testing you. And from that time on, we mention that in our prayers multiple times a day. But here's the question. The question is, what's so great that Abraham listened to God? 
and was going to sacrifice his child. We understand it's great, but he's not the only one in history. In fact, unfortunately, many others have done so. Uh, unfortunately, in the last 70 years in Israel, well, we've done so in a certain extent, people sending their children to war. But uh, we have ancient stories as well. Hannah and her seven sons, right? In the story of Hanukkah, there's a famous story. There was a woman called Hannah, and her seven sons refused to bow down to the idol, and they were all killed in front of her. And many, many stories of, of uh, Jews giving up their lives for God, it, many times uh, in Masada and other places where they killed each other just not to be given over to the hands of the enemy, we should be mentioning all these other people. You know, why Abraham only? So there's different answers given to the question, but it's a famous question. The qu famous question is, why do we keep mentioning Abraham's sacrifice? He's not the only one. And especially when you consider, as he says, you're Abraham's high stature, right? If a simple person did it, that's something special. But Abraham's high stature, I don't know. Then he has like this. Especially concerning that God himself said, then please take your son and bring him as an offering. Meaning, so many Jews have sacrificed their children throughout the years without God coming to them directly. Here, God came to Abraham directly, spoke to him face to face, told him, take your son. Well, is it a big wonder he listened to God, right? But the sacrifice the Jews have done since then, sacrificing our lives for God, for our religion, has been without a direct command to us. So. What makes Abraham's sacrifice all that great? What's the great merit? Now, one answer is, of course, that he was the first. Um, he was the first, but still, we have to understand, as he says here, even if he was the first, but as he says here, if God asked him directly, all right, he was the first, but it's, you know, you got a direct command from God. I mean, it's kind of hard to refuse. He says like this. After all, there have been numerous saintly individuals who gave their lives for the sanctification of God, even though God, he, meaning God, did not speak to them. So here is his answer. The point is that our father Abraham did this with wondrous alacrity. For as the verse testifies, Abraham rose very early in the morning and himself saddled the donkey in order to demonstrate the eager desire to fill the will of his master and to bring gratification to his maker. In other words, the great sacrifice of Abraham was not only that he did it, but that he did it with alacrity. In other words, he ran to do it just as he ran to do any mitzvah. Now, this is not that Abraham was callous. In fact, we are told, it says that uh, that um, that Isaac was blind in his old age. The, the commentaries discuss how did he get blind. One of the explanations is, is that as Abraham was holding the knife over Isaac's head, Tears fell from his eyes and fell into others, say it was angels, different explanations. But one of the explanations is tear fell from Abraham's eyes and it blinded Isaac. Abraham's tears blinded Isaac. So we understand Abraham loved his son. He wasn't just callous towards his son, unfortunately, like we may see by the terrorists, where, you know, it's all about, uh, you know, getting heaven or whatever. He was not callous. He loved his son. He was crying. But despite his crying, he was doing it with alacrity. He was doing it with speed. Um, now, we, God willing, should never be tested with the test of Abraham. But think about that. Is that uh, Abraham was willing to do anything for God with the speed necessary, without any delay, even something as difficult as this. Imagine us. What are our difficult commandments? You know, the things that are difficult for us are nothing like that. And uh, how much more so we can do them with alacrity as well. Again, think of simple things. It could be your prayers in the morning. It could be your charity in the morning. It could be uh, lighting your Shabbat candles. Whatever it is, 
we have we should try to make sure that our priorities are set straight and the priorities towards God um, should uh, come first and we should show an eagerness to do it. So all this is is to give us more inspiration um, to do mitzvahs with alacrity, as the Alter Rebbe is going to add, especially the mitzvah of tzedakah. So he says like this, Indeed, it was from the example of Abraham and with the power that he vested within all his descendants that our sages of blessed memory learn that alacrity is required. <laughs> okay, I'm not going to comment on the on the uh, chat, but it's, it's <laughs> I hear I, it does remind me when I was in uh, when I was in uh, when I was in Israel. One of the tour guides kept saying, "Grandchildren is the is the reward for not killing our kids when they were teenagers." But anyways, anyways, uh, but uh, obviously it's a joke. But you get the idea. Okay. Um, Indeed, it was the example of Abraham and with the power that he vested within all of his descendants that our sages of blessed memory learned that alacrity is required in the fulfillment of all the commandments in general, and in particular, with respect to the act of charity, which is superior to them all. So this is what his point is saying. If all mitzvahs require alacrity, then charity, which is the greatest mitzvah of all, surely should be done with alacrity, right? Now, who says the mitzvah of charity is the, is the most important of them all, superior? Well, uh, we have different sources. I'm not going to delve into it uh, deeply, but whenever the Torah talks, whenever the, the sages say mitzvah, whenever the sages say mitzvah without giving a definition for that mitzvah, um, they're referring to the mitzvah of charity. Let me see if the, if the footnote here gives anything. Not that it has to, but I'm just curious. Uh, note by the Rebbe. Okay, all right. So you can... Okay, anyways, so the point is that if all mitzvahs have to be done with alacrity, then surely the mitzvah of charity um, has to be done with alacrity, especially since charity is greater than all the other mitzvahs, okay? Um, the Tanya explains elsewhere mystically why charity is greater than all the other mitzvahs, because the mitzvah of tzedakah is done with money, and money really elevates your entire life, right? The world revolves around money, right? So when you give a part of your money to charity, um, you're, so to speak, elevating your entire personal world. And so in a sense, charity has the ability to elevate your entire world, right? Because if you're taking your hard-earned money, which is what you work for eight hours a day or whatever it is, and you're giving some of it to charity, that, that reveals that really all your money is, uh, uh, all your money is for, um, the godly purpose. Now he adds an additional idea. Charity is not only superior than all the other mitzvahs, but he adds in that it protects and saves ones by its fruits that are repaid in this world and from all kinds of calamities that may come about. So there's famous stories, many, many stories. There's the famous line is that tzedakah charity will save us from death. There's a story brought in the Talmud of Rabbi Akiva's daughter. Rabbi Akiva was once, was after his daughter was born, he was walking by, I think, some necromancer, somebody stargazer, and the stargazer told him, you should know on your on the day of your daughter's wedding, she's going to die. And um, the Rabbi Akiva, you know, put it in the back burner of his head, but he always knew it, and he was very worried about it. But as Jews, we don't believe everything the stargazers say. Well, Rabbi Akiva's daughter got married, Baruch Hashem, 
and uh, she survived. But the morning after her marriage, she woke up and she saw there was a dead poisonous snake right next to her bed. What happened was when she went to sleep, she took some pin out of her head and she stuck it in the wall, but it was dark days before lighting. So they didn't see anything. She woke up in the morning. She saw that where she stuck the pin, she stuck it right in the head of a snake and killed the snake. So clearly she saw that she was saved from a death that was coming her way. And so she spoke to her father and her father asked her, tell me, what did you do on your wedding day? She says, well, as everybody was busy preparing for the wedding, a poor man knocked on the door and everybody told her, told this poor man that, uh, sorry, we're busy preparing for a wedding. Come back to us a little later. And she said, but I felt bad for this guy and I got him a plate of food and uh, sent him on his way. And the, and the Rabbi Kiva said, aha, from here we know, charity saves us from death. That's just one of many, many stories. And so charity has the ability to protect. And as it says here, charity is one of those mitzvahs that not only do you get reward in this world, but you get reward in the world, not only do you get reward in the world to come, you get reward in this world. In other words, some mitzvahs are very spiritual and the reward for them are only going to be after we pass away. But charity, we are rewarded not only in the world to come, but also in this world. And that's what he means that the fruits are repaid in this world. In other words, not only are there benefits in the world to come, but there are benefits in this world as well. So if charity is so great that it's superior to all the other commandments, it can do elevation other commandments can't do. And you get rewarded for it in this world and the next, and it will protect you, and of course protect Am Yisrael, then surely uh, it's something that should be done very quickly. You know, who doesn't want a little extra protection in their lives? And certainly right now, as we think about our brethren in Israel, who doesn't want extra protection for our brethren in the land of Israel? So surely the Altar Rebbe is saying, if any mitzvah should be done quickly, the mitzvah of tzedakah should be done quickly. And again, he was trying to inspire his people who were, were going to give the amount at the end of the year. So don't just give it, but give it with alacrity. All right, so here he quotes. That is, is written in the verse. Tzedakah saves from death. He's curious, where is that quote from? That quote is from Proverbs, okay? And how much more so from other kinds of suffering that are milder than death? Notice he's making a point. Charity not only saves you from death. If charity can save you from death, surely it can save you from lighter punishments, right? It doesn't mean it only saves you from death. It saves you from death. That's the most severe one. It saves you from even things that are less, injury or other stuff. So he says this. It is thus certainly to our benefit, even in this world, to be as expeditious as possible in the giving of charity, even more so than in the fulfillment of other commandments whose reward may not be as palpable in this world. In other words, if you're ever inspired to do something quickly, surely charity, you're going to do quickly. You'll be inspired, not just for some spiritual benefits, but for a benefit uh, right now. And as he adds an interesting line, a person is judged every single day. As he says here, this is from the Talmud Rosh and I want to explain this. What does it mean we're judged every single day? You're like, Rabbi, we just, you know, we're goody goodies for, you know, 10 days, 15 days. We were just goody goodies for Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. You're telling me I get judged every single day. I thought I got signed. I got sealed. I'm good. Right? I'm good, right? No? We, we, we passed Yom Kippur. As long as we're good for 10 days, we get a good year. So the Talmud explains it. No. We're actually judged every single day. What does that mean? When you're promised, whatever you're promised in the beginning of the year, let's say, let's say it's written in the books, you're going to make $100,000 in the year. How that $100,000 gets to you um, is based upon your merits and your actions during the year. 
And in fact, Hasidic philosophy even explains it's possible if you don't have enough good merits, those $100,000 may not even come to you fully in a physical format. Remember, blessings are spiritual and they have to trickle down to this world. And sometimes they can be translated in spiritual and not physical blessings. And so we get judged every single day. So in other words, like this, if, if it's decreed that you're going to make 100000 in a year, you can't make more than that. But you could make less than that. Okay? You could make less than that. That the blessing may not fully trickle down to you. It, you'll get the blessing somehow, but not necessarily in the way that you want it. And so this is why he's saying is that it's important to keep giving charity because uh, we get judged every single day. We get judged not just once, we get judged every single day. So I'm sorry to bu burst your bubble, but uh, being good for 10 days a year, it's good, it's helpful, but uh, uh, we need to be good every single day. We're judged every single day. Uh, again, not you know life or death, but how those blessings that you got in, the, in Rosh Hashanah, how they'll come to you, that's the daily judgment. Um, okay. Now he says something interesting. He's going to read like this. The reason given until this point for dividing one's annual pledges into weekly or at least monthly payments was the quality of alacrity performing the mitzvah. Right? Remember, as we started in the beginning, the Alter Rebbe said everybody had to give a certain amount a year. Then he said it's hard to give a lump sum, so you know, give throughout the year. The Alter Rebbe now adds two further reasons for not deferring frequent payments to one's consolidated contribution at the end of the year. Uh, so this is going to be bad for my end of the year fundraising, by the way. But, <laughs> right, you know, a lot of people like to get, okay, that has to do more with taxes and people see how much they can give. But uh, I'm sure, you know, Jews are very much into giving daily charity. And this is going to be a great explanation why. So he's going to yeah. add again, two additional reasons for giving frequently. We said number one is, is alacrity. So you got money, give some of it to charity. You got the gift in the mail, give some charity. Now he's going to add, every single act of tzedakah refines the soul of the donor. That's going to be one reason. And then B, every single act of tzedakah brings about this eternal union in the sefirot and partzufim, which uh, that's a spiritual talk we're going to explain. It. So let us give the first explanation. So he says like this. Indeed, in the service of charity... We have also found a noted and noted a particularly great and incomparably wondrous virtue when the act of charity is performed numerous times. So again, he's saying not only, right, you might think, what is the difference if I give once or I give a big lump sum, right? If I give a dollar every single day or if I give $365, What's the difference, right? So again, here he's saying the Alter Rebbe is referring here not to one's annual pledge, but to the actual giving of numerous increments, which adds up to its total amount. And he says like this, and whoever does so frequently is praiseworthy rather than at one time and all at once, even when the total sum is the same, even then it's far preferable to give the same amount over a longer period on numerous occasions. So again, a very interesting point. It's important to give numerous times, even if it ends up being the same, right? So, um, qual so to speak, the quality is the same, the amount is the same, but quantity, you want more quantity. So first is going to give a simple explanation given by Maimonides. As Rabbi Moses Maimonides of Blessed Memory wrote in his commentary on the following Mishnah, taught by the sages of Blessed Memory, and everything is judged according to the multiplicity of actions as opposed to the stature of the deed. 
again, Maimonides is quoting, it says that everything is judged according to how many times you do it. It's a very interesting thing, right? This is from Pirkei Avot. Pirkei Avot says that you're judged according to how many times you do something. On this mission, Maimonides explains that though a one-time donation of, say, a thousand gulden is truly praiseworthy, the trait of benevolence does not thereby become embedded while a donor's psyche to the same extent as it would if you would give these same thousand coins all at once. So let me explain what that means. Um, when you give charity, there's obviously the benefit to the recipient, but there's also a benefit to you. The benefit to you is just like any mitzvah. When you do a mitzvah, you're elevated, right? So obviously you give money, that person gets what they need. But also there's a benefit to you. You are, uh, we're talking right now your personal benefit. We'll talk about spiritual benefit, uh, you know, to the world in a moment. Let's talk about literally personal benefit. You become a kinder, a better person. Our actions have an effect on the type of people that we are. It's been proven over and over that if we can get people to do positive actions, over time, we can change their psyche to become more positive and um, better people. So therefore, it makes sense. If I have $1,000 to give to charity and I give it a 1,000 times versus giving it all at once, um, it's very likely and highly possible that um, I will inculcate and, and give to myself um each time i do it a uh, more charitable uh personality that's what maimonides says that's why he says it's important to give multiple times anybody has any thoughts or comments on that on that point i think i've spoken about it multiple times but i'm just curious if anybody has any thoughts or comments on, on that on that specific point giving Multiple times is better for you as a person versus giving all at once because that's why we all have charity boxes in the house. You know, the act of giving even a couple pennies, right? So there are people who give millions of dollars to charity. They'll also put a couple pennies in a charity box every day because as important as it is that they're supporting great institutions or writing million-dollar checks, um, it's important that they give a daily charity. I, I like it. I like it because I think like for someone like me that can't give too much, at least I'm giving a little bit all the time. It'll make me feel like I'm making a difference. Yeah, good, good. Anybody else has any, any thoughts? You don't have to all shout out at once. No? Okay, okay. Um, I was going to say like this. Um, he says, now apart from the underlying reason for this that Rabbi Moses Maimonides of Blessed Memory clearly explained in order to refine the soul by means of multiplicity of actions. So again, that's the first reason. He's saying, in addition to the fact that it, it changes you, he's going to add another point. And this is a very interesting point. He says, an explicit verse in scripture states that the effect of tzedakah is for life. So again, the scripture says, the effect of tzedakah is for life. So we're going to have to explain what this means. So let's, because uh, simply the word means giving charity gives life, right? When you give charity, you're helping someone have life. So let's read what it says here. In his notes and emendations at the conclusion of the Hebrew edition of Tanya, the Rebbe refers the reader to the following two verses in Proverbs 10, 16. 
we find pulat tzedakah l'chaim, the effect of a tzaddik is for life. And in Proverbs 11, 19, we find tzedakah, kein tzedakah l'chaim, so it's tzedakah for life. Accordingly, the Rebbe notes, the author of a citation, three words, pulat tzedakah l'chaim, as part of an explicit, uh, oh, okay, okay, I see, I see. Okay, this is a side note, we're not going to get into it. All right. Um, let's go with the explanation without getting delving. Okay, I didn't, sorry, I didn't want to take it down a rabbit hole. Um, so again, the simple meaning of pula tzedakah l'chaim would mean the effect of tzedakah is for life, which by the way, this is one of the cool things about Hebrew. You know, the Rebbe's writing that, uh, you know, really it's, it's merging two verses, but um, the general meaning of that is the effect of tzedakah gives life, right? If you give charity, you're giving life. So um, we're going to explain it a little more mystically. And the explanation is like this. Just like when you give a physical person charity, you are, so to speak, drawing upon them something they don't have, right? The person that's getting charity did not have food, did not have clothing, did not have housing, did not have money, whatever it is. You are drawing upon them something you didn't have. Similarly, the spiritual effect that we have when we give charity is drawing life into this world. When we say life, we'll mean spirituality, godliness. So this is what he's saying. This means the effect and the mystical consequence of tzedakah is to elicit and draw down supernal life from the fountainhead of life, from the life of life, the blessed Ain Sof, which is God, the infinite light. So again, when you give tzedakah, tzedakah gives life. What does it mean to give life? It will draw down from God, who is the source of life, and it will draw down to us. And he adds another word. Where does it come down? He's going to explain more mystically. La Eretz Chaim, to the land of life. Uh, I don't know if I want to go and explain that, but these are the mystical mechanisms through which uh, we get uh, spirituality into this world. So the point is that just as when you give charity on a physical plane, right? Uh, the spiritual benefits of any mitzvah reflect the, the physical benefits. The physical benefits of giving charity is you're drawing life to someone who doesn't have it. Life can mean more generally things they need. When we do tzedakah, spiritually, we're drawing life. And what is life? Life is God. God is life. We're drawing life. We're drawing godliness into this world. And he says, also known as what is godliness, known as shechinat uzenu, the shechinah. I'm sure you've heard of the word shechinah, the divine presence. Sha'aleh namar, which about the shechinah, the verse says, kulam, and you animate them all, meaning God gives life to everything. So through giving tzedakah, we are able to draw down God's Shekhinah, God's divine presence, which gives life to everything here on this world. And um, he says like this. Um, the Shekhinah is identified with the sukkah of David that has fallen down to the very dust during the time of exile. So what is that referring to? Okay, I'm going to explain this one, even though it's a little off the beaten path, because... Uh, it's something we were just reading on the holiday. So we just finished the holiday of Sukkot, right? And if you read the uh, in the in the in the uh, prayer book, 
the bencher, this is probably backwards, but in the uh, in the uh, grace after meals, there's a section before, you know, there's a section of additional harachamans. So we read like this. We say, may the merciful one restore for us the fallen sukkah of David. So it's a very interesting line, right? So on sukkahs, we're asking God to restore to us the fallen sukkah of David. It's kind of an interesting uh, prayer. I mean, did David have a sukkah that was blown over by a hurricane or something? Like, <laughs> you know, well, why, why are we worried about David's sukkah? What about uh, Rabbi Adler's sukkah? You know, why don't we pray for Rabbi Adler's sukkah, which has fallen? I actually had this year the holiday. There were some like gusty winds on the sukkot holiday. Some of my sukkah was blowing off. So what's this prayer we say in the grace after meals on sukkot? We say, you know, may the merciful one restore for us the fallen sukkah of David. So what is it referring to? So mystically, as he's explaining, so I'm not going to get into the, the simple explanation because it's the mystical explanation to help us understand the Shekhinah, the divine presence. Um, the Shekhinah, the divine presence during exile is called the fallen sukkah of David. That's what it's called. Why? What is the sukkah of David? What is the booth of David? The booth of David is the kingship of David. And obviously there is no kingship of David. So we are in exile. Okay. When the sukkah of David will be arisen, that means the kingship of David will be arisen. That means Mashiach comes, right? Mashiach comes from David. So when we pray, may God uplift the sukkah of David, it's really a prayer for the kingship of David. And we're praying that the Mashiach should come and uh, the, the kingship of David should be arisen. Now, when we're praying for the kingship of David, are we actually praying like, do we care that much about the kingship of David? Obviously, we're praying not just for the kingship of David, but we're praying for the uh, divine presence that shined during uh, the during uh, the kingship of David. In other words, the kingship of David, it says that, that the kingship below represents kingship above. That's why it actually says when you see a king, if you go to if you go to England and you see King Charles, there's actually a blessing to be made. When you see a king, you're supposed to make a blessing. I don't know if you're familiar with that. You see a king or a queen, actually. You know, we see the Queen of England is also a prayer. So when you see a real king, you're supposed to make a blessing. I mean a king of Israel or like any ah, So when you see a king of Israel, you, there's a special blessing to be said. Even on a regular king, we make a blessing. Surely a king of Israel, you make another blessing. It's So the idea is that kingship below is a reflection of kingship above. That's the idea. Uh, everything in this world is a reflection of something spiritual. As I always say, you know, the Kabbalah or Hasidic philosophy is kind of the spiritual underpinning of the world. It's the spiritual understanding of the world, right? Just as we're doing in the Tanya, we're understanding our, our spiritual makeup, our godly soul, our divine soul. Uh, just as science discovers the atoms and protons and neutrons, Hasidic philosophy and the Kabbalah give us the spiritual uh, makeup of the world beneath us, or I should say the, the, the real, not beneath us, the real existence of the world we see. So a country having their king is a, is a certain sign of their spiritual stature. And um, similarly, the kingship of David is a reflection of, of God's presence in the land of Israel. And when the sukkah of David, when the kingship of David is fallen, that means the divine presence is in exile. Just as the kings of Israel went to exile, the king of David went to exile, uh, God's divine presence is in exile, meaning we don't see God's divine presence as much. 
We all know that to be the case, right? So the Shekhinah, which is God's divine presence, during the temple times, you were able to see the Shekhinah. It says you would come to the temple, you would see the miracles, you would see God's divine presence there, right? Now we don't see God's divine presence. The, the, just as the kingship of David has fallen, God's kingship is exiled. And as he adds it here, he says, as our sages of blessed memory said, when the Jewish people were exiled to Edom, meaning the destruction of the second temple, the Shekhinah went with them. In other words, when the kings are in exile, God himself, the Shekhinah, the divine presence, goes in exile with them. So godliness is in exile. And um, so, which means there's a there's a divine presence among us, but we don't see it. And as he's going to explain, is that through the midst of charity, you can uplift it. And this is very analogous to the poor person, right? What is the poor person? The poor person is a human being, a dignified human being who's fallen, who's lost their dignified place in humanity. They don't have what they need. They need to come to others to beg them. They're asking others for life. Similarly, the Shekhinah, metaphorically, is fallen from its lofty place. It's exiled. We don't see the, the revelation of the, of the Shekhinah. When we, when we give charity and we, and we draw life to a poor person, we are also invigorating the Shekhinah. We are drawing divine presence, more divine presence into the Shekhinah that has fallen and uplifting it. And that's what he says. Tzedakah has its effect because the arousal which man initiates below to revive the spirit of the humble, the pauper, who has nothing at all of his own, elicits an arousal from above, meaning our actions down here affect what God wants to do. And so when we uplift and revive the spirit of a pauper, of a poor person, the Shekhinah, the spirit of the Shekhinah is also elevated. Okay? Um, so as he says over here, uh, uh, he says like this, and he says, this applies whenever you give any charity. And he adds, especially when people offer voluntarily to sustain the inhabitants of the actual land of Israel. For Israel, the geographical land of life corresponds to the heavenly land of life. So he says, mystically, Israel is not just a land where, you know, the Israelis have figured out how to, how to grow things. But uh, the land of Israel is the original land of life, the original land of the Shekhinah. So if any tzedakah, uplifts the Shekhinah, surely charity to the land of Israel will uplift the Shekhinah even more. Will uplift the divine presence even more. And he says, the Dila Maven, this will suffice for those who understand. And I don't know if we can count ourselves amongst those. I'm not, we're not also mystically, but we get the idea. And then he adds, now whoever is enlightened as to so great and wondrous a matter, the cosmic dynamic traced above, whereby an act of Tzedakah, charity, draws down a supernal life from the blessed Ain Sof to animate the exile of Shekhinah. So he says, if someone contemplates this idea that through giving charity, and especially to Israel, you can draw down supernal life from God's infinite life down to the exile of Shekhinah, will discover and appreciate how profound are the words of the sages of blessed memory when they said everything is judged according to the multiplicity of action. In other words, like this. The elevation of the Shekhinah happens whether you're giving a dollar or a thousand dollars. Drawing down that divine line happens no matter how much money you're giving. And therefore now there's a reason not just to give a lot of charity, which is necessary, but to give every single day. Because every single time you do it, you are bringing more divine light into this world. And I, can, I just want to add, of course, I would of course say if we're giving... So in my opinion, charity to Israel does two, two things now. Not only are we giving them what they need physically, but if spiritually there's more divine presence, 
That means there's a greater divine presence in the land of Israel and God should protect them. And uh, there will be a, I should say, a greater revelation of God's protection, right? We know God is always there. But God forbid when we're attacked, what does that mean? God's presence is in hiding. God is hidden. We don't see him. Banochi haster aster, right? The, the, the word Esther means hidden. God says, sometimes I hide my face. God is always there. But unfortunately, the last couple of days, he's been very hidden. You know, there are stories of miracles. I, I put, posted one on Facebook. But on a whole, he's been very hidden. And uh, we want to elicit from above a revelation of godliness. We want God to reveal himself and say, I am here to protect my people. And so giving charity will not only help the battalions get the things they need and the people get the food they need, but spiritually, this is why I'm showing you this letter, it will spiritually uh, reveal godliness. And what does it mean when God is revealed in the land of Israel? Is that his protection will be more revealed. And so that's why there's, there's this uh, need for us to give charity to Israel. I'm explaining here not just to give large amounts, but also to try and give as often as we are able to, whether it's weekly, monthly, or daily, uh, but to keep thinking of ways of giving because the benefit is twofold. This is what I'm trying to explain here today. It's not only a benefit uh, because it's a mitzvah and a benefit because you're actually giving them things they need, but on a spiritual basis, you are going to reveal God's Shekhinah in the land of Israel. And when God's Shekhinah is revealed there, they will be protected. Amen. Let's just, uh, uh, we're almost on the letter. Even though the bar on the side looks long, it's not as long. There's like comments at the bottom of the article. Okay. Um, so it says like this. Uh, this refers to the act of charity, which is performed numerous deeds, thereby eliciting the supreme form of life, the life that derives from the infinite fountain of life, by repeatedly bringing about the supreme unification of Kutubrich and Shekinah. In short, he's saying every time you give tzedakah, you're drawing down from the divine light into the Shekinah, into the divine presence, which is an exile. This is similar to what Maimonides wrote in praise of the repeated giving of tzedakah to refine the nefesh, to refine your soul. Because just as personally, when you give charity multiple times, it refines your soul. Uh, spiritually, each time we give charity, it creates a greater bond and connection and, and greater life in the Shekinah. Uh, I'm going to skip some of this. And now he's going to say like this. And this, once we've read this, now we can understand the spiritual understanding of why our sages say that Charity is great because it brings the redemption, right? It says charity is, is, a, is a great mitzvah because it brings the redemption in. I think it was a discussion in the Talmud. It was saying, you know, which mitzvah should I do? And it says, if you have an option, do charity because charity brings uh, the Mashiach closer. Well, every mitzvah brings the Mashiach closer. Why specifically charity? And um, now we understand our answer. If giving charity brings a greater revelation of the Shekhinah, a greater revelation of the divine presence, well, when the divine presence will be fully revealed, that is the coming of Mashiach, right? As he says, by raising the Shekhinah from the dust, by gradual stages with every act of tzedakah, until Shiloh will come, until Mashiach comes, that explains why uh, we have to give charity multiple times, because each time we do it, we uplift the Shekhinah. And of course, ultimately, when we uh, bring the Shekhinah, uh, when we uplift the Shekhinah, the Shekhinah will um, be revealed, and that will be the coming of the Mashiach. May it happen speedily in our days. We're going to end off here with the appendix that they write here. Uh, we're not going to read it all, but we're going to read the beginning. Um, I just want to point out, um, you know, it's, it's too long. Um, 
yeah, Sadek basically explains that though the reward for one large contribution is greater, our sages here seek to reassure us that even modest increments add up and become equally worthy of a superior reward. Um, I, I want to point out the Rebbe, though, did explain is I don't want anybody to walk away from here and say, well, Israel right now needs lots and lots of money, but since I want to give in multiple stages, I'll, 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 I'll hold on to it. This is not a statement of saying if you have the money right now, you should hold on to it. Okay. Um, if anything, that was the beginning. The beginning says you should give charity with alacrity. What it is saying is that we should give and give again and give again. And as we get more money, we should give again and never think that we've given enough. Uh, each net, you know, obviously hold on to a couple pennies, but uh, you know, I think one good way of doing it is finding multiple charities that are doing multiple things in Israel and uh, you know, spreading around, and that way you give multiple times uh to the, all the different organizations that needs. But again, if you know of a very specific need and you have the money and you can help them out. None of this is to say you should refrain from giving charity uh, because you want to gain the benefits of giving it multiple times. What it is saying is you should always give as quickly as you can. And in fact, when he was talking to his students back then, that was actually the idea. They were thinking of holding on to their money, giving a big lump sum at the end, at the end of the year. And he's trying to tell them, no, don't wait till the end of the year. If you have some money now, give it now. And you have another money in two weeks, give it then. Another money to don't, don't hold on to it and give the big sum at the end. As you get the money, you give it with alacrity. And um, so hopefully uh, I've inspired all of you with all the different reasons, or I should say the Alta Rebbe has inspired all of you with the reasons why we want to give charity, number one, with alacrity. We want to give with alacrity. All much should be done quickly to show our eagerness, but especially uh, we learned from Abraham, alacrity is important, but especially the mitzvah tzedakah, which we know is equal to all of the mitzvahs, and the mitzvah tzedakah can protect. And surely in this case, we need protection and, and saving from death. Additionally, we explain the spiritual idea behind charity, that just as charity um, physically uplifts a poor person, the Shekhinah, the divine presence, is in exile. And unfortunately, the exile is very strong right now. We don't see the divine presence in the protection land of Israel. And when we give charity, we draw down more divine light, and the Shekhinah is uplifted, and we should, God will only see more of the divine presence, and we will see more of the divine presence, or God will reveal himself with protection for our brethren, for our fellow Jews, and non-Jews in the land of Israel. Unfortunately, we saw that uh, many non-Jews lost their lives as well. Um, actually, when I was in Israel in March, I went to Kibbutz Alamim. That's on the border of Gaza. It's one of the towns that was overrun. Uh, I saw that there were like 10 Thai workers that were working in the farms there. When I was there, we saw them uh, that were that were killed uh, working those farms. Just innocent uh, people just working to make a living to pay for their families back in Thailand. And um, they were killed as well for, for no reason. Um, so we, we, you know, we, uh, we want protection in the land of Israel for everybody, Jews and non-Jews alike. And, uh, we pray for a speedy end to this and, um, may we, uh, hear very good news very soon.